You are listening to the Passion City Church podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, D.C., visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. Today's talk comes from Grant Partrick. Today we're going to spend all of our time in five verses, which I think is manageable. I think we can do that. Uh, it's brief, but it's a powerful five verses. Short in size, but huge in significance. And I want us to look at it together. If you have your copy of Scripture, I want to invite you to open it to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, beginning in verse 38. It will be a familiar few verses for a lot of us today. And even in my reading and preparing leading up to today, the Lord has used it uh, to convict my heart in such a powerful way. And I, I hope and pray He does the same for all of us today. Begin reading in verse 38 of Luke, chapter 10. You can follow along in your copy of the scripture or uh, you can uh, watch the screens as well. Now, as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she went up to him and said, Lord, Do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha, you are anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary. Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for your word. Thank you that it's alive and active. I pray today, God, that you will uh, use this word and you will breathe on it today in a way that chips away all the calluses of our heart, any areas in our life that don't align with you or look like you. I pray that those would crumble down today. I pray, Lord, that you will stir something up in us today that would highlight areas where, where we need to lay things down and highlight areas where we need to pick things up so that we can look like you and live like you for your glory, for your fame, for your renown. It's in Jesus' name we pray, and everybody said, amen. Amen. Uh, I don't know if you had a time like this, but uh, when Maggie and I got married, one of the things we wanted to do was we wanted to host people in our house. Uh, before that, I lived in about an 800-square-foot house with five other grown men. So there, uh, was no, there was no cooking period that happened there, just a lot of Taco Bell. Uh, there certainly wasn't any hosting guests over for dinner. And as, we, as Maggie and I got married and, and we moved into our home and we wanted to host people, we realized something that uh, maybe for some of you this just came naturally, but for us it was hard, that timing things is very difficult. That when you're making like meat on a grill and rice on a stove, it's hard to get them done at the same time. And uh, we would have people over and, you know, the one thing would be done like 45 minutes ago and then you're waiting on the one thing and then this thing's cold, but we're waiting on this thing. And I can remember one time we had all of her family over at our house in Marietta and uh, I had uh, started following this guy, this is during COVID, on Instagram who was like a chef and he was teaching you how to use the grill. And I was like, man, I'm going to get into grilling. I can do this. It was nice to have something to work on as a pastor uh, that didn't have feelings and emotions. So I was like, I'm going to grill and this is going to be great. And so I got into this thing and I was learning how to do these, these, this you know, kind of burger this certain way and their family was coming over and I was set on, I was like, I'm going to do it this way. It's going to be awesome. Everybody's going to leave talking about how great this food is. And then it started pouring down rain. 
which wasn't going to deter me because we don't have a garage. We have a carport, which is a lot safer to grill in than a garage. So I just wheeled my grill through the rain into the carport and like, I'm just going to keep working like normal here. Well, I started cooking them in this cast iron skillet on my grill because this is what the dude told me I had to do to make them really good. So I started doing it this way. They take a lot longer and I could only do like two at a time because I don't have a very big cast iron skillet. And so I'm making two burgers at a time and sending them inside through the rain, you know, with the umbrella coming inside. Here they are. And then I'm back out to the grill. Here they are. And by the time the last burger was done and I came in to sit down, everybody was getting in their cars to go home for the evening because it had now been more than a couple of hours. And it was like, you just totally missed the point of why everybody was here. I can remember my kids. Maybe you have this personality if you're a dad or a parent. Uh, My kids, when something breaks, I like to be the hero. I don't know about you. Most of the time, it's just a battery, and they're young enough where they still think dad works some kind of magic, and I just let them pretend that I'm very handy. Um, But I can remember if they have a toy that's broken, I will spend, they'll they'll wanna play like, hey, can you fix this toy so we can play together? And I will spend hours trying to fix this toy. I'm on YouTube watching something that's not even in English. I'm just listening to the sub, reading the subtitles at the bottom, trying to fix it. And by the time I get it done, they're already in bed for the day. I'm like, you just missed the whole point. What they wanted was just to play with you. And you you spent all this time fixing the toy to play with them. Now you fix the toy, but there's no more them. They're asleep. Total, totally missed the point. And this is what's happening in our text today. A classic case of missing the point. The title of the message today is Moving from a Life of Distraction to a Life of Devotion. So let's look at these five verses together. It says that they were on their way and Jesus entered into a village He doesn't tell us uh, how many of them went into the home or what village they entered. Presumably, this is the same Mary and Martha that we read about in John's gospel. And so the village would be Bethany. And so that Jesus is welcomed into Martha's home. Now, we don't know uh, for sure, but this would kind of suggest that Martha is the oldest if it is her home. And if you have more than one child, uh, Martha meets the description of a firstborn for sure. And then Martha's sister enters the story. She has a sister named Mary. And Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus and listening to him teach. So she's at the feet of Jesus. Now, in the New Testament, being at someone's feet is to be their disciple. You read that Paul talks about this in Acts 22, verse 3, that he studied at the feet of Gamaliel. That he studied under him, he was instructed by him, he was discipled by him. So here's Mary, the sister, and she's sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to his instruction, listening to his teaching. And while Mary is sitting, Martha is serving. And she's not just serving, but she's giving it her all. And I think we should commend her for that. I love the way the text says it, that she is distracted with not just serving, but with much serving. Because hosting the Son of God in your house is a pretty big deal. She was pulling out all the stops. She was giving it her best. And I think we should commend her for that. That that wasn't the problem in the text. The problem wasn't that Martha was serving or that even Martha was doing much serving. Let's tease this out for a bit. Serving is a mark of the Christian life. 
Serving is a gift of the Spirit. Some of you are gifted in hospitality to serve. There's nothing in the New Testament that would suggest that serving is a problem. And not only, it, not only that, but it is the example that Christ has set for us. In his own words of his own job description, he said, I have not come to be served, but to serve. So it wasn't that Martha was serving that was the problem. It was that Martha was distracted that was the problem. The word here, distracted, means literally to be pulled apart, to be pulled in different directions. I doubt there's anybody in here still reading from the King James uh, translation of the Bible, but I love the way the King James translated said that she was cumbered with much serving. Now, we don't still use that word. Maybe you heard the word uh, being encumbered before. It, it means to be burdened. And in a very real sense, Martha was burdened by her service to the Lord, missing the point, because Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And here's Martha doing everything she can, pulling out all the stops, and she is burdened by her service to the Lord. Now, if you have a sibling of, uh, or if you have multiple kids, just picture this playing out because this is real life. You got the one sister over here in the kitchen doing all the work. And then you got the younger sister over here sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to all. And I don't know how this would work in your house. Let me tell you how it would work in my house. If I were to be in the kitchen by myself while my younger brother or someone else was in another room, first of all, I would start banging pots really loud. Like there's work to be done in here. I don't want to interrupt Jesus because he's the son of God and he's in my living room. But I certainly would be doing everything I could do to let my little brother know, hey, what are you doing in there? You left me hanging out to dry here. So, so maybe there's kind of like a, you know, you just go back far enough to look through the thing and it's just kind of like, you ever done that to your sibling? I know all you parents have done that. You, you know that you're not in an environment where you can use your words, so you just, get over here. <laughs> and maybe Martha did that. I would assume that she probably did. But Mary is locked on to Jesus, and she's hanging on his every word. And then Martha has had enough, and she goes into the room. Now, I love that. She doesn't go to her sister. Anybody with two kids knows this. You go straight to the highest authority. Like, okay, you didn't listen to all those clues that I just gave you to get your tail into the kitchen with me? Great. I'm going around you now. I'm not even going to speak to you and probably not even look at you. I'm just going straight to the highest authority here, which is the Son of God in this case, and I'm going to go right to him. And, I, and she, Martha just goes right up to Jesus, and she says, Lord, which is a good start. Then listen to what she says. Do you not care? Now, I love that. That's the exact same words used in Mark chapter 4 when the disciples are on the stormy water freaking out. They say, Lord, do you not care? And it's interesting that for most of us, when we don't understand what God is up to and when God is not working things out the way we like things to be worked out, our first assumption is that God doesn't care. So Martha says, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me here to serve all on my own? 
And then next is where she gets in serious trouble. Then she uses an imperative towards Jesus, which you don't have to go to seminary. I was a bad Greek student, but I do know this. If you're in the imperative tense, you should not be talking to the son of God. He should speak to us in that tense. And she commands of the son of God. She commands of Jesus, then do something about it. Like, don't you care about this? I'm in here just working all day for you and for all these people and my sister who should be working with me, who should be doing more than me because it's my house. And she's just over here sitting at your feet. Don't you care? And if you do, then do something about it. And I bet as soon as she said that, then do something about it. She thought, there, now watch this. And at that point, she probably looked at Mary like, I, I, I warned you, now I've gone straight to him. And she's probably looking at Mary like, ooh, this is going to be good. What's about to happen here? And Jesus says, not Mary. Jesus replies and says, Martha, Martha. And I want you to get this. He, he repeats her name two times. Now, now this may not be what you, you, you think at first glance of this text, because I don't know how it worked in your house growing up. But when my mom said my name twice, it was never a good thing. But Jesus is not angry. Jesus is not uh, scolding her. In fact, in the language of the day, there's, there's about 15 times where a name is repeated in the scripture, going back to Moses, Moses in the burning bush, Jacob, Jacob. And, and, and when Jesus is using a repeated name, it's a sign of intimacy. It's a sign of relationship. It's a sign of compassion, not of scolding. So God is not... Anger in his voice like maybe your mom was when she yelled at you from the top of the steps when she would say, my real name is Grantland, by the way. If you didn't know that, it's weird. We'll explain that at another time. But when my mom said my real name, I knew I was in trouble. And if she ever said my real name twice, I knew I got to get out of this house before she gets up these stairs. <laughs> this is not the case here. Jesus, with extreme compassion in his voice, says, Martha, Martha, you're missing it. There's something so much better here. I am here. And then he says this. He says, you're, you're, you're worried, you're anxious, and you're troubled about so many things. Now, it's bad enough to be either or. It's bad enough to be anxious or troubled. Martha's both. Jesus responds to her commanding him to do something by saying, you're so worried and you're so troubled Matthew 6, Jesus talks about being worried. He talks about this a lot in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has trouble of its own. Now, I love that. If you've ever stopped to think about that text long enough, it's kind of funny. Because Jesus says, don't worry. And it's like, okay, tell me why I shouldn't worry. Because tomorrow's got its own troubles. You're like, that's exactly what I'm worried about. Jesus says, don't worry about that. Why? Because I'm going to be there. And today there was trouble and today there was grace to get you through the trouble. And tomorrow there's going to be new trouble. But guess what? Tomorrow there's going to be new grace and I'm going to be there tomorrow. And Jesus is going, I'm in the room. There's no reason for you to be anxious with all these things. I'm right here and I'm everything you need. You're just missing the point. So don't be anxious and, and don't be troubled. I love the way... Uh, 
the, Dr. Tony Evans said this one time, I'll never forget it. He said, you know, today is the tomorrow that you were worried about yesterday. Isn't that helpful to think about? It's like, oh yeah, you're right. Things are going to work out. There are things are going to be fine. And he tells, he tells us through, in the scriptures not to be troubled. John 14, 1, let not your hearts be troubled. So very tenderly and with a lot of compassion, Jesus corrects Martha. And maybe, just maybe, he would like to do the same for some of us today. Maybe you're distracted by many things. And Jesus, not in a scolding voice, not in your grandmother's voice when she was frustrated at you, just in a very kind, loving, compassionate way, wants to say to you, you're missing the point, and there's something so much better. So a few takeaways from this text for me, and uh, I'd encourage you to write these down. Number one, we see in this text that distraction is the great enemy of devotion. For many of us, the enemy is hiding in plain sight. He's not lurking around some hidden or secret corner waiting for you to step into a trap that he's set and make you destroy your whole life. He's just hiding in plain sight, distracting you into oblivion from the plans and purposes God has set out for you to accomplish in life. There are many things that can distract us. And the things that distract me may or may not be the same things that distract you. But even in the text, you see a lot of people being distracted by a lot of different things. There's a guy named Demas who was traveling around with Paul and part of his ministry. And what it says about him in the text is that he fell in love with this present world and he deserted me and went to Thessalonica. Now, I know I've been around church for a long time that we love to vilify Demas. Like, why would he do that? How foolish do you have to be? You're right there with the most boss Christian of all time, and you just got enamored with worldly things, and you left him for that. But for many of us, we we just like him. We're just like Demas. He wasn't evil. He wasn't a wicked man. We have no record in the scriptures that Demas defected from the faith. All it says about him is he got distracted by something shiny and worldly. And he decided to give his attention to that. So I wonder for you, what might be those things? It's helpful to take big spiritual ideas and break them down into the practical. This is what God's been doing in me just leading up to today. And and for some of you, it could be as simple as um, Zillow. You're just on Zillow nine hours a day. (laughs) There's not any new houses since yesterday. And if there are, you're not going to get it. It's like you just bought a house and you like your house. So why are you looking at other houses? But we just get lured. We get enamored by shiny worldly things, don't we? You you can buy anything you want on your phone and have it delivered by a drone in like four hours from Amazon. This is a problem because we can just scroll and you don't even need things. They're telling you what you need. And you're like, I do need that. And surely I'm not the only person that very innocently has ever opened up a notification from Amazon that a package has been delivered only to find myself an hour and a half later shopping for things I never even knew existed. It's not evil. It's just distraction. Maybe there's things that you want, like 
a real, I know this sounds so silly and so foolish, but this is me and I'm one of your pastors. Uh, f- for me, the, I, I really wanted a new car for like the last two years. I got a four, I have a Toyota 4Runner. I'll be driving that until Jesus comes back. There's nothing wrong with it. It works great. They never break. But, but it's, it was, I was so convicted this week, like how much time do you just spend looking at this? It's not evil. There's no, nothing wicked in me that's like, this is, you know, some wicked thing in me. It's just distraction. It's just keeping me from being devoted to the things that matter most. And I wonder, is there anything in you that is distracting your attention from the things that matter most? And then, but that, that wasn't really Martha's problem, was it? She wasn't necessarily distracted like Demas was distracted by worldly and shiny things. What was Martha doing? She was serving. She wasn't serving in the house of God. She was literally serving God in her own house. That's a big deal. There is nothing wrong with that desire. It is a good desire. It is a godly desire. But while doing this for Jesus, she missed the most important thing, which was Jesus. And this should be a warning for all of us. Working for Jesus is meaningless. If you, do not, if you do not understand the opportunity to be with Jesus while working for Jesus, there is a big difference in giving the Lord your time and giving the Lord your attention. Time with him is only as helpful as your attention is available to him during that time. E.M. Bounds, a, a, a theologian that has really helped shape my view of prayer, in one of his chapters on prayer, which is honestly one of the first things on the chopping block for many of us when our days get busy and we have to cut something, we cut the thing that actually is maybe the most important thing. He says, one of the wiliest tricks of the enemy is to destroy the best by the good. That it can be good things. It could be spiritual things that are robbing you of devotion with Jesus. Because spiritual activity does not necessarily mean genuine devotion. It can and it should because while you serve in the house or while you serve people or while you're exercising the gifts God's given you, in all of those scenarios, you should be doing them with Jesus for Jesus. So the, 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 the problem in this text is not necessarily that Martha was serving. It's that Martha was so distracted that while serving, she missed the fact that Jesus is sitting in her house. Now, she could have easily been, I know this to be true, because uh, my mom multiple times growing up, while I was in another room of the house with my friends talking about things I wouldn't have talked about with my mom being in the room, from the kitchen knew what we were talking about. You ever been there? She heard every word. And then would ask me about it later. So, so maybe, that, maybe Martha could have done that. Maybe she could have been in there working on all the food. But trust me, Jesus is speaking in that room. I'm going to hear everything he has to say. I'm not going to miss the point of being devoted to Jesus. Jesus did not correct Martha for serving. He corrected her for being distracted. Number two, if you're writing, taking notes, is this. We see in this text that busyness is not the goal. I remember hearing the quote one time, and I don't know who said it, but the quote goes like this. You will break the bow if you keep it always bent. 
Jesus exposes this lie here in these five verses that busyness and faithfulness are not the same thing. And for many of us, myself included, when we feel busy, we feel important. We feel like people need us. We feel valued. We feel significant. Some of us even like being in zones of life where everybody needs us because it makes us feel valuable and it makes us feel important. Some of us lie about how often we work to our parents or to our siblings or to our friends because in our minds, if we work more, it means we're more significant. And there is a real sense for us that a full calendar equals a busy and an important life. But I just want to gently warn you today, a full calendar with a starving soul does not help anybody and it does not please God. Filling up your calendar with things that you're hoping to get your value from will always leave you empty. Busyness is never the goal. I love how our pastor often says this, and he said this to me, I don't know how many times and how many moments where I've been leading, it's been a text or a little hallway conversation, and he would say something like this, hey, when you lead today, lead from approval and not for it. Isn't that great? So when you get up today to preach, I don't need anybody in this room, I don't need your approval, because I've got approval from my king. And whenever you go do whatever you do tomorrow, you don't have to work and, 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 and tire yourself out and try to work extra and do all these extra things and, and, and get busy and add more calendar things and, and say yes to everything so that you can get your value. You can, in Jesus, already have your value and then approach your life. And you no longer are starving for approval. You're satisfied in the reality that you already have approval from the Son of God. Start from the position of acceptance and work from that place. I want to teach us a word today, and I know we weren't going to uh, have a word for the year, so I'm going to honor that from the first week of this uh, series. I'm only kidding. So maybe this isn't our word for the year. Maybe it's just a word of the year. Does that work? Well, this would be a word of the year, and it's a hard word. It's not hard to spell, but it's very hard to live. Are you ready for it? Trillith, are you ready for this word? I think we all need this word. Ready? It's very hard. Not sure that it's in your vernacular very much. I want us to grab hold of this word. And the word is no. No. No, I can't do that. Can't do that today. No, I can't. Sorry. Thanks for asking me, but no, I'm not available to do that. Now, let me clear up some lies about that word because it's gotten a bad rap. What no doesn't mean is I hate you. What no does not mean is, I hate your idea. Here's what no means. No means I've already given my yes, and I'm committed to that yes right now. Because I believe it honors God, and I believe it honors my family. So I love what you're trying to do, and I love your idea. And if God is in it, I believe God is going to bring people to help you execute your idea. But I already have an idea from God, and I've already given my yes to these things. So I'm going to protect my yes by giving you a no. And some of us just need to feel the freedom to say, no. We're so busy because we say yes to everything that there's so many things that we're tempted to miss the thing. And it's good for us to just feel the freedom today. We can just say, no. I don't have the ability to help you with that today. I love even this collection of talks is 
uh, called priorities, which stems from an 18th century Latin word, which is prior, meaning from uh, former or before. Before you asked me, I already said a yes. So my priority is already determined. Therefore, when you ask me something new, I don't have to wrestle in the moment and feel anxious in the moment because I've already pre-decided what my priorities are going to be. And unless what you're asking me aligns with my priorities, which were predetermined, then I'm going to graciously say, I can't help you, but I believe God's going to bring somebody who can. And some of us need to feel the freedom to do that. When Maggie and I uh, started dating, uh, we went ice skating because, well, this was the third time we started dating, but took her a while. Uh, We went ice skating, and this time worked, so maybe ice skating is a good thing for somebody today to just put that in your pocket. Uh, We went ice skating, and... um, I, 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 we live in Georgia, not a lot of ice skating here. I'm not very good at it. Uh, I, I like to think I'm athletic. I don't know how long I can hold on to that word. I'm probably coming to the end of being able to hold on to that word, but there was a day where I was athletic and um, I was thinking, this is great. I'm going to be able to impress her. I can fly on the ice. I grew up in the Mighty Ducks era. <laughs> and I have the same problem that Luis Mendoza had. I can fly, but I do not know how to stop. (laughs) I don't know how to slow down. Every time somebody would say, this is how you stop, I'm like, that looks like two broken ankles to me, and I'm not going to do that. So what, anybody ever done this? The way that I stop is I just run into the wall. So I may have been impressive for a little while while I sped around the track, but I did not look that impressive when I just ran into the wall and fell down. And not being able to stop or slow down on the ice is a problem, but not nearly as much of a problem as not being able to stop or slow down in your life. And you will run into walls, you will uh, have major things fall apart if you do not understand the enemy's tactic to just make you so busy that it robs you from living according to all of your priorities. The last thing is this. Our distractions move towards devotion through a vehicle called discipline. This is what Paul tells Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. I don't want to speak this over you because I don't know everybody personally in any of our locations today, but as a whole, as a society, we're a pretty undisciplined people. We don't like discipline. We don't even like the word, but yet Paul tells Timothy, discipline yourself, train yourself for the purpose of godliness. Desires will remain desires without the vehicle of discipline. A desire will get you to the gym in January. Pretty much everybody. That's why they have all the specials in January. But it will require discipline to get to the gym on a cold, rainy morning in February. And this is where having our priorities in line is so key. That we have predetermined what is valuable to us. And we're going to live according to that. I'm talking about not something like as simple as going to the gym, although that's a great thing, and there are people who uh, come to Cumberland that own an amazing gym. I'm all for uh, going to the gym. It's just not an ultimate thing. So what Paul tells Timothy is discipline yourself, not for self-improvement, not because you're going to hit a goal, not because you got your resolution. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. 
that in order to live out the ultimate thing, it's going to require discipline from you. So I will discipline myself for the purpose of godliness. And when that is my priority, to be godly, to live godly, then I will be disciplined around that. For some of us, I know this to be true from my own life. You, 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 maybe you, you read these stories about these old theologians that like woke up at 3.30 in the morning and read all these books and prayed for 19 hours before the day started. It did help me recently that someone said, um, you know, they didn't have light. Like there, there was no electricity. So they did wake up at 3.30, but they also went to bed at like six. I'm like, that helps me. Thank you for telling me that. But, but maybe you heard a story somewhere along the way and you're like, I got to do that. I got I to wake up early. That's one of the things I want to do this year. I want to wake up early because I got three kids. And when the kids come up, there's not a lot of devotion happening. So I need to get up and have some quiet before all my kids wake up. That's a great desire. But some of us aren't doing that because we go to bed at midnight because we're binge watching Netflix. And we think the problem is we must not have had a good enough desire to really meet with the Lord in the morning. It's like, no, your desire's fine. You just aren't being disciplined. Because if you would be disciplined and go to bed earlier, you would be able to wake up earlier and spend some time in prayer. It's not a calendaring issue. It's a heart issue. I remember my seminary professor saying during finals one year, um, hey, let me tell you what I recommend doing to be most effective and have the best success on finals. And I'm like, tell me, give me some of the Greek words so I can just knock a few of them out because it's hard for me to remember. And he said, "Here, here it is. You ready? This is what I would advise you to do to have the greatest chance of success on your finals. Go to bed. Sleep. I was like, That feels real spiritual to me. Thank you. I need that. Some of you, maybe you just need to hear that today. Sleep. Go to bed. And understand that God is running the universe. That God doesn't sleep. That by you staying up Martha-ing all night, it's not helping anything. You can't even add an hour to your life. So just sleep because when you sleep, it's an act of trust. You're just saying to God, God, I trust you're going to be able to move all things forward according to your will. And you don't even really need me for that. So I'm just going to go to bed and trust in your provision for my life. Distractions move towards devotion through a vehicle called discipline. Is there an area in your life right now where you are undisciplined? And it's costing you godliness. As we close today, I want to challenge you to do something super practical. Maybe sometime this week, I want you to list out the things that you're most committed to in life right now. Some of you, it may be school, it may be work, maybe a relationship, maybe Georgia Bulldogs football. It may be your pickleball night, whatever it is. List out the 10 things that right now you are most committed to in life. And then I want you to look at the list, not, not, with, not a spiritual answer, okay? You don't have to bring your paper back next week and we're not going to put it on the screens for everybody to see. Just between you and God, what are you most committed to right now as a man or woman? 
And I want you to look at that list and I want you to ask yourself the question, does sitting at the feet of Jesus make it onto your list? Does time with the king make it onto the list currently of the things that you're most committed to? Because Jesus says about Mary, she chose the good part. Not that there weren't any other parts. She chose the good one, the best one, which was sitting at my feet and being with me. So here's three questions as you look at your list. Are there any things on that list that you need to stop doing altogether? Any things you need to just use this new word we all have and say no? Are there any things on the list that you need to start doing, things that aren't on your list but you want on your list and you need to figure out how do I be disciplined in getting these onto my list? And are there any things on that list that you need to start doing differently? For for me, uh, one of the things that I, I, I used to always have a hard time with and I know many people probably are in the same boat, was trying to figure out where in the day is it possible for me to like sit quietly and pray for a while. Because when you read the scriptures, you're like, this has to be a priority in my life, but somehow it's just, it wasn't making it into my calendar. And for a season, I realized I, I was spending 35 minutes in the car from my house to work. And in the same amount of time, from work back to my house. And so I just decided to redefine that time. I just decided instead of listening to music that has no real impact on me, if it was worship music, that would have been great. Honest confession, it wasn't. So, but I said, I got over an hour of quiet. And I just redefined that time. When I'm in my car going from work to home or home to work, I'm gonna spend that time in prayer. And some of you, you got a lot of little kids, you got a crazy job. Maybe you're like, I don't know how I can say no to any of these things. Like, I can't really say no to my kids. Okay, that's a good thing. But maybe there's a part of your day where you can be disciplined and redefine the time for the purpose of godliness. Mary chose the good part. She was not distracted, but she understood there's nothing more valuable than sitting at the feet of Jesus listening to his teaching and instruction and then living from that place. And I love that the scripture says Mary chose the good part. Isn't it interesting? She had a choice in the matter. And Martha had a choice in the matter. She just didn't think she did. God gives us a choice. Your priorities, my priorities, they're your choice. Nobody can force them on you. You get to choose what will be most valuable in your life. And I want to encourage you to think about it this way, as one uh, preacher said, our lives in this story should reflect this reality that what lasts the longest should matter the most. And I want to live like that. And I would imagine you do too. If you were encouraged by today's talk, be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thanks for listening to the Passion City Church Podcast.